Hello, and welcome once again to the Many Rules of Film Club. This is Jeff Yance. I'm the program director at the Loft Cinema, joined, as always, by my favorite occasional filmmaker, Heather Lades. Hi, Jeff. And Tucson's best multimedia artist, Rusty Belay Stevenson. You know I can see Russia from my house. (laughs) No, you can't. Prove it. Prove it. I live in Tucson. I can see Russia from my house. Well, today... uh, We're going to see if we can prove that to be true or false. Uh, But we're going to be looking at uh, the career of one of our favorite actresses, Julianne Moore. Safe to say, probably one of the top American actresses working today. Uh, Can almost do no wrong. Maybe occasionally, but we'll see. Everybody's got to get a paycheck. Everyone's got to get a paycheck. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Julianne Moore... uh, finally recently won an Oscar in 2014 for uh, Still Alice, Uh, has been nominated a number of times. Uh, I think what makes her interesting is that she's absolutely fearless. She takes on roles that could be considered unlikable. Yep. Not exclusively, but a lot of roles that she takes, I could not imagine any other actress even wanting to touch. Yeah, not even going to try. No. Uh, She's also uh, been able to toggle between independent films and blockbuster Hollywood films fairly easily, which I think is great for her. Yeah. And not be tainted by them. And not like be tainted by not either. So great. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, she may be an actress who does the big blockbusters to allow her to do the smaller films. And, That's or, what it seems like. Or to pay the, the rent on the house. Wherever she has a house. Yes, exactly. You know, it's interesting, too. She didn't start really acting in movies until she was 29. Yes. Which is kind of late for most females to start getting into movies. That's right. She never went through the teen movie phase. No. um, At all. She started on television. Yeah, she did a lot of TV. Soap. uh, Soap actress on As the World Turns Mm -hmm. in the 80s, Mm -hmm. which I think was great uh, because I think that's a, a tough gig. Oh, yeah. I mean, all those lines you have to memorize so quickly and such overly dramatic kind of moments because of the TV. And And she played sisters, which I think is even more interesting. She played two sisters. Oh, yeah. And she won a daytime Emmy. Uh, So she has often said that she really valued that experience because it gave her confidence because that was such a hard gig. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then she was catapulted into cinema in the classic non-classic horror Mm -hmm. film. Tales from the Dark Side, mm-hmm. the movie mm-hmm. from 1990, uh, where she played the mummy's victim. Mm. <laughs> the notable mummy's victim. <laughs> yeah. But then she went on to other things after that, of course. Uh, but that was her first film role. Uh, and then, of course, on to Shortcuts, the Robert Altman film, where, where I think a lot of people first noticed her was in that film. Yeah. A very bold... <laughs> An exposed part. Exposed role for Julianne Moore. She performs a monologue in the film bottomless mm-hmm. uh which again Very is pretty bottomless. pretty brave mm-hmm. i think it is. yeah yeah it yeah. is brave mm-hmm. and a lot of people talked about that uh that got her a lot of attention she was great in it uh and uh, if nothing else paul thomas anderson yes noticed her yes in that because right. he rips off robert altman with his later films i mean he says he rips him off it's mm-hmm. not yeah. like yeah he told robert altman i rip off your films right so the fact that she ended up in Boogie Nights and Magnolia mm-hmm. kind of made sense yes. when he saw her in the Altman film. Yes, yeah. for sure. Uh, but her first uh, starring role in a film was an amazing film. Uh, one of my very favorite movies of the 90s, for sure, 
uh, is Safe, the Todd Haynes film from 1995. Uh, this was, this is a movie that I think was underrated and undervalued at the time. At the end of the 90s, I think it's interesting, The Village Voice did a poll of major American film critics and Safe was voted the best American film of the 90s. Wow. But when it came out, there was a lot of confusion about it. Uh, supposedly, uh, Todd Haynes has said at Sundance when the movie played, uh, it got a very mixed reaction at <laughs> best. There were a lot of walkouts, mm. a lot of people confused, said, I don't get this. Mm. So even even for people in the indie film world, it was kind of a problematic movie. But it took time for people to kind of get what it was saying. Uh, so Safe has been hard to see for many years. Uh, it was not available on platforms. It wasn't available on DVD. Criterion came out with a DVD about a year ago. Yeah. So now it's out there again, which is great. Uh, so basically, in a nutshell, if you have not seen Safe, which many people have not, Safe stars Julianne Moore as an almost uh, surreally uninteresting Encino, California housewife, uh, wealthy woman. The highlight of her month is picking out a new couch for her living room. They deliver the wrong color. She freaks out. It's a major horror moment. So she's a very pampered woman. She has no real interior life. She doesn't really seem to have an identity at all. A lot of first all. world problems. Real first world problems, <laughs> yes. She doesn't really, uh, again, have much. She's a blank slate. There's not a lot going on there. She's introduced in the film before she has any dialogue with a sneeze. So she sneezes. And as we were talking about off mic, if you ever hear a character sneeze or cough in a film, you know it's trouble. Yeah. Because sure. you never hear characters just randomly sneeze or cough unless it leads to some sort of illness. So right away, Todd Haynes is setting this up as this is going to be a disease movie. And he said he sort of based this on the disease of the week TV movies. So it's sort of a comment on those, kind of a parody of those, but also a deconstruction of those. Julianne Moore starts getting mysteriously ill in the film. Uh, she has a hard time breathing in fumes from cars as she's driving on the L.A. freeway. She can't stand the smell of her couch, the um, chemicals used in her hair permanent. Or her, her husband's cologne. Yeah, which is great. She can't be near her husband without vomiting. Mm. <laughs> oh, so many layers. So many layers. <laughs> so clearly this becomes a metaphor for a woman who's very unhappy in her life and her life is making her ill. Uh, she gets in her mind that what she's suffering from is something called environmental illness because she sees a flyer at her uh, aerobics club. The movie said in the 80s, the late 80s. So she's into aerobics. Uh, she sees a flyer at her aerobics club saying, are you sick of fumes? She goes to this meeting. She meets a lot of other people who are suffering from something called environmental illness or an allergy to the 20th century, they call it. Uh, so she starts embracing this as the reason for her escalating illness. And what's interesting is that this illness starts to give her an identity, which she never had before. Yeah. Um, so she becomes an ill person, someone who has environmental illness. It escalates to the point where she decides she has to go to a treatment facility in Albuquerque called the Renwood Center, mm. uh, which is out in the middle of nowhere outside of Albuquerque. Uh, there are a number of people suffering from this illness there. 
it's very unclear whether they are really ill or whether it's a psychosomatic issue, whether they're emotionally damaged and are imagining this. And the film is very ambiguous. Most everything that happens to her physically could have a psychological component. And the film is very careful to not be explicit either way. So it leaves you as the viewer to decide, is she really ill? Is she not ill? Uh, And then it becomes very unclear whether this is actually a cult that she has stumbled into and is exploiting her to take her money. Uh, She ends up living in a porcelain-lined igloo. Uh, I think it's like 12 feet by 12 feet because she can't stand any fumes whatsoever. She has to be totally isolated. And she finds that this is her happy place. And that's the note that the film ends on. Like how exactly happy can you be living in a porcelain-lined igloo in the middle of Albuquerque? Away from your family. She leaves her family behind, exactly. Um, How lonely, how, you know, seemingly. Yeah, it's kind of horrible. And I remember talking to people at the time the movie came out who I had seen it with. And there was real discomfort with the film because you don't know even at the end, is she going to, you expect the narrative arc to be, she'll get help, she'll be healed, she'll figure out what the disease is. And you don't even know at the end if she has a disease and yeah. what's what's happening to her. Is she being helped at this place or is she part of a cult? Uh, but I think that's the, the brilliance of Todd Haynes is that he's always very subtle and ambiguous and he doesn't tell you what to think. Uh, and this performance by Julianne Moore is off the chart. She's, I watched it again the other day um, just to make sure that this was true, but she's in literally every scene of the film. Mm. So the entire film is told from her point of view. And she has said in an interview that she, when she auditioned for the film, she decided that this character of Carol White, because she has no identity and she's so afraid of taking up space that her voice will actually not have any weight to it. So Julianne Moore develops some sort of vocal technique where she talks on top of her larynx so there's no weight on the vocal cords. So you have this floating, airy voice that has no weight to it. And the fact that Julianne Moore even thought that through, I think, is just fascinating and indicative of how great of an actress she is. And how dedicated. And dedicated yeah, to and get nailing this character. Yeah, just knowing how to use your voice. Yeah. Uh, would we don't really talk about it too much in general in, in regular life, but really your voice and, and you, the way you breathe is through your stomach. Mm. And so when people do that, when people are talking in the top of their throat, it does have this high, sometimes will become kind of nasally mm-hmm. um, voice. And you can hear it. I hear it in people kind of regularly. Is it something I listen to? Right. Um, but yeah, it was a really interesting choice for her to do for this character, and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, and she also said that she based she listened to women from the Valley in California in the early '90s, and mm. she she picked up on the upspeak, which a lot of women use, which wasn't quite a huge cultural thing at that point, but it was very big in California. So everything she asks, everything she says, is like a question. Mm. So she has no authority whatsoever. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so it's really kind of an amazing performance. Her body starts shrinking through the film as she gets more and more ill. Uh, she clearly lost a lot of weight. Her jaw disappears. By the end of the film, she's in this porcelain line igloo. She looks literally like an alien. She's all eyeballs. She has a cyst on her forehead. So sickly looking. It's 
it's hard to believe. Right. I mean, it's really quite a transformation. And probably one of the most powerful endings of a film I have seen where she is using an affirmation that they have taught her at this cult. So this cult is very insidious. It's sort of a satire of the self-help New Age movement. Yeah. Uh, where the blame for disease falls on the victim of the disease. You let this happen to yourself, so you have to take control of this yourself. Uh, so she buys into this philosophy, and the affirmation they teach her is you need to stare into a mirror and repeat, I love you, I love you, I love you, over and over, and eventually you'll start to love yourself. And then not be sick. by. And you will heal yourself. Exactly. Um <laughs> uh, and there's a moment where she's trying to explain to the other people it's her birthday at this cult and they're giving her a birthday cake and it's a speech, speech. And she's so unused to actually speaking her mind or any voicing any kind of opinion. She starts talking about how she's healing herself and she gets tripped up on all this new age terminology. She says, I'm still trying to learn the words. And it's just a very sad commentary on what people look for in order to quote unquote be safe yeah, and to heal themselves. And it's uh, such an awkward speech. Like that yeah. speech really got under my skin. Yeah. Listening to her. It's just this word salad of, of new age terminology mm-hmm. and, oh my gosh, it's hard to hear. And I, I've heard it in real life a little, not quite to that extent. Yes. you. Yeah. But mm-hmm. you'll, you'll recognize it. You'll think, oh, I know who sounds like that when you watch the movie mm-hmm. safe, um, which is a little disturbing in and of itself. Honestly. Oh, yes. Yeah. And interestingly, environmental illness was an actual thing that was becoming a cultural phenomenon in the early 90s. Uh, and I did a little research, and uh, the majority of sufferers at that point that were reported were women. So there was this idea that the disease was not taken seriously by the medical community because it was experienced by women. There's a long right. history of that in the history of medicine, or if it's, oh, a, yeah. if it's a woman's issue, then it's hysteria. And it's probably psychological. Right. Uh, and I think maybe the jury is still out, I think, to a certain extent. Yeah. As to how valid of an illness this is. That's what I kind of read, too. It's hard to know. And that's what makes the ambiguity of the movie so real. Mm-hmm. Is And when you know people like this in real life, you do wonder, is this in their head? Is this real? Mm. Is I, What kind of doctor is diagnosing this thing? You right, know? right. And that's that's what I kind of stumbled upon, too, when I was doing research was like, well, a lot of times these people who are diagnosing this, they're a very specialized kind of physician and not really taken as seriously by the rest of the medical community. Well, and the onus is on the the victim to diagnose themselves. In the film, all of her, quote unquote, traditional doctors tell her there's really nothing wrong with you. Maybe you're lactose intolerant. Like she's told, maybe you get she got this fruit diet that you're on. Maybe it's a dietary thing. and she diagnoses herself, basically, saying, well, I saw this infomercial about environmental illness, and that's what I've got. So that's mm-hmm. that's who I am now. I'm a person who has environmental illness. Right. Uh, and it's really it's a really just a great performance because you don't – she doesn't go for sympathy in the film. You're, you're very conflicted about how to feel towards this character of Carol because she's making what seems like a lot of bad choices for herself. And you want to feel sympathetic for her, but you also want to just kind of shake her. You kind of feel like her <laughs> husband at times, too, who's like, oh, come on. Yeah. I'm not even wearing cologne this time, and you're telling me it's my right. cologne. Yeah, exactly. Clearly, you just don't want to be around me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. if I were her husband, yeah. I'd be beside myself. Right. <laughs> I, yeah. So it's a, it's a very, yeah, it's, it's, 
a great film. It's a it's a tough film, but it's got humor in it. There's a scene where everyone at the cult dances to the Loggins and Messina song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whenever I call you friend, and that's their big mm-hmm. triumphant moment. But they all have their oxygen masks and their tanks, and it, it's it's pretty great. But it's Todd Haynes is really great at sort of exploring issues that affect women in particular and the inner lives of women. He really does. And Julianne Moore has a great relationship with him. Of course, a couple of years later, she did Far From Heaven with Todd Haynes, Mm -hmm. which is an emotional killer. (laughs) Heather's even crying just thinking about it, I think. Honestly, like whenever I think about any scene, I I watched a refresher, a few clips Mm. before it, um, my heart just, I get like that heavy heart, just even seeing a clip from it. Mm -hmm. It's just so good. But so emotional, like. Uh. Yes, one of her one of her first times playing a '50s housewife, repressed '50s housewife, which she has which done thing. many times in her career. Um, but this is but this is great, and her husband turns out to be gay, and she has a relationship with her African American gardener. But this the small town hypocrites won't accept it, mm-hmm. and she's forced to make many many horrible choices because of that. So that's I, th- I think they have a really symbiotic relationship, and he has said that she along with Kate Blanchett is like the perfect vehicle for his ideas uh, because she is such an intellectual actress. I think she really sort of understands a director's vision and uses that to modulate her performance. Yeah. In interviews I've seen with her, that's what she even says. Like a lot of times the, the big time directors will ask, well, after she reads the script, do you have any notes for your character? And she says, I never have notes for my character. I want the director to tell me what to do. Right. I, I don't want to bring me into this. Um, it's the director and the writer's vision that I'm trying to right. to pull off. And I think that that's really neat that this big time actor like Julianne Moore says and does that. Mm-hmm. So often these these actors won't take roles unless it fits a certain way for their career, right? Unless it gets mm-hmm. them on the right career track. Mm-hmm. She obviously is is really an actor's actor to me. Um, yeah. And she did it really early on. She said with Safe, which was her first starring role, that she's she told Todd Haynes, I need to know how you're framing the shots that I'm in, and that will help me decide how to play this character. And in the film, she's always dwarfed by her environment. She's placed as a small figure with giant objects around her. Mm-hmm. And she said, okay, so I understand. You're framing me this way, so that means this character is dwarfed by her environment. And she feels very small. She feels very insignificant. And that's how she plays it. And that's just, I think, a really wonderful trait for an actor to be that cognizant of how the process of film works. Right. Well, I think it's smart and brave. Like, Mm -hmm. smart because she's willing to, I mean, she understands that it's the director's vision that she's working with here and not hers but also brave because she's trusting them to give her something that right. is going to be worth it. And I think she it's almost always worth it. I mean, there's some bummers in there in terms of her movies, but very rare. And speaking of bravery, so Julianne Moore is clearly not afraid to be unlikable in a film. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a great example is Savage Grace, which, which I, I watched you, you rewatched recently. Sadly. <laughs> Actually, for the first time. I had not seen it when it came out in 2007. What a shocker. I mean, I mean granted it grossed, I think if I looked at the number right, like mm. 400,000 maybe. Yeah. So it didn't do well, but uh it's an example of a movie that I never need to see again. <laughs> 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 but a 
an example of how she's so good at being the characters that she embodies. Like, I mean, it's a painful movie to watch. So, so just a little short wrap-up of it is she plays an heiress, Barbara Bakeland. Right. She's an heiress. She's married to a guy who comes from a plastics fortune, basically, mm-hmm. a venture of some plastics stuff. And she's an heiress in the late 50s, I think, is when you first see her. Um, but it goes all along a few decades as the story progresses. And you get you hear, you hear a narrator at the beginning, and you don't know who, you're not quite sure who the narrator is, and then you realize, oh, the narrator is her son. Mm. And this is a true crime life kind of story. It happened in real life, and it's about the relationship with a son and a mother and a father who left them. And kind of like, she was a, she's an heiress and a socialite, so she always wanted to look good. And, you know, there's various scenes of her uh, where she basically gets not caught, but uh, her husband calls her out on her crap, basically saying like, "You're trying to invite so and so, this high person in society over, but he's not gonna come over. He's just being polite." Yeah. And she's got this tray full of cards, which I'm guessing is like to represent who has visited, and she keeps the same tray over the years to represent like, "Oh, all these well-to-do people have come to visit her home." And that was back in the day when that was a thing. Like, that was super important for you to have, mm-hmm. you know, these people come visit you because you met you were high on the social ladder. And um, they basically live off um, the husband's, uh, you know, grandfather's earnings from this plastics patent or whatever it was. And so it's very upper class um, life, you know, like dining out at late at night, leaving your child with your mother. She, you don't like her from the get-go no. because she's a social climber. She just wants to look good. And she always, like, in the beginning, you see her manipulate her husband. Um, and so you just don't like her. There's really nothing to like about her. And you, I think there's some moments of trying to get some more sympathy, but they don't try too hard because they're like, you know, we, she wasn't a nice person. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to try too hard on that. Um, Eddie Redmayne plays her grown-up son. He, they show him as a baby as a, I think, nine, ten-year-old, and then a grown-up son. And he, he's great, but he's not likable either mm. um, because he's messed up by his mother who is controlling and, you know. She's witnessed her son have excursions with other men, but she never will, like, embrace that fact because that's not how he's going to be in society. Like, mm-hmm. it's not even necessarily about that, who he's having sex with. It's, it's that that being that in that society won't get him to where she thinks he should be. And she's just a horrible mother. <laughs> there's no she other. She really is. There's, and a horrible person. And she, uh, you know, at one point her husband says one one-off comment and she ends up getting into some cab with some other bunch of guys because she's mad at her husband. And mm-hmm. so you can see he ends up, her husband ends up um, falling in love with the son's, one of the son's girlfriends. Mm. He and so they go and they she finds them cheating and it's a great actually it's a great confrontational scene that she does because you have a brief moment of feeling sorry for her because she catches her husband and his lover at the airport when she was supposed to pick someone else up and well and the husband's lover is the former girlfriend of her son right yeah making no right. one likable right. awkward <laughs> yes yeah so it's it's very this, so that scene honestly i think like was only the brief glimpse of like maybe remotely feeling bad for her but what happens is directly following that scene she goes and has sex with her taxi driver 
<laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, like it's like using sex as punishment, but as a reward in a weird way. <laughs> and, and there's mm. also this undercurrent of like sex, like her being open to 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 her son. Like she sees her son making out with this other guy and like weird stuff that it's just not normal parental boundaries. And sharing joints. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very intimate moments between a mother and a son. And you can see it coming. Like I see the incest happening, but I didn't realize they were going to show it like they showed it. Yes. I mean, there's very, um, you can see Eddie Redmayne's character kind of tumbling into psychosis and like mental illness in a way. Yeah. And you're not sure is it because his mother is messed up or because he's just needs some it help, but he's tumbling into this. And one of the final scenes near the end is when, they their their situation culminates to he realizes his mother's messing with him mm -hmm. and like emotionally psychologically and he's basically had it and um but she wants to make him happy because that's also what she does is placate him to make him happy and she ends up having sex with him like on the couch and it's such an awkward, horribly uncomfortable scene that oh. I almost fast forwarded through, and I kind of wish I did, but I sat through it. Yeah. And I mean, it's it, icky. It's it's icky in yeah. that it's not just like a, a quick. It's a long ass scene. There's mm. some actual sex, and then there's some hand mm -hmm. manipulation. Yeah, after the sex, and, it continues. Yes, there's more, and then I oh. just it's horrible, and. I don't feel bad at the end when she dies, you know. I don't right. think that's a spoiler. This is the true life story. Come on. Right. So I don't feel bad. <laughs> and mm. and he eats. He orders. He calls for an ambulance, and then he orders Chinese. He's eating the Chinese when the <laughs> police officer gets there. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, very deranged. Right. I mean, it's it's yeah. kind of wraps up the blase nature of how they treated anything because they were so wealthy because they could treat life just like no that. boundaries right. at all just decadent there's no parental yeah. boundaries no yeah. safety boundaries no yeah. physical boundaries at one point he's in bed with her her lover and his lover because the lover had sex with both of them at separate times mm. it's just messed up and honestly don't think anyone needs to watch this <laughs> but I will say, you know, Hugh Dancy plays a great role in this movie. Ed, I mean, for what it's worth, Eddie Redmayne and Julianne Moore do great. You just mm -hmm. don't like them. And why would I want to watch this movie again? Right. And, and right. I mean, I like true crime movies, but this is messed up. And I don't know if I needed to see Julianne Moore mounting her son in the movie. I don't know that I felt good about myself after right. I watched it. Yeah. Right? Like, I didn't. Um, but but that's kind of the brilliance of Julianne Moore, too, is I have watched a lot of movies in preparing for this, and this was one of the last ones I watched, and yet as I was watching it, I couldn't think, oh, that's just Julianne Moore, the actor who's right. who's getting on the other actor. I really saw it as the mom right. kind of brutalizing the son in a way. It was awful feeling. It, it feels like a documentary at that point. It does. Yes. Which it does makes feel it like a documentary. even worse. Well, and I mean, the, I mean, I will say the one brilliant thing they did was they had him, the narrator was, was Eddie Redmayne's character, the son who ends up killing her, narrate it through the whole thing. And so you're mm. kind of hearing him going crazy as the story goes on. Because he'll talk about the delusions he's seen and the writing backwards and all of that stuff. And so th there are some smart things about this movie. And you don't know if it is, if it's something that's happening because of the events around right. him or if it's something that's genetic. Right. 
that was he was going to be be schizophrenic right. one way or the other by the right. time he got to that age. Exactly. Or if his mother's actions and just the lack of boundaries make you not know right. what reality is. Yeah. I, well, and clearly she had some night some narcissistic personality disorder mm. of her own. Yes. So oh who, yeah. Who who knows what else stuff is in the mental health history of their family? Right. You know, but it's it's a hard movie to watch. After, like, the halfway mark, I mean, I could hang with... I hung through the whole thing, but there were serious monsters. Like, I could just fast forward to this scene because <laughs> it hurts. Well I, well, I remember when we showed that film at The Loft, you could almost time it when audiences would leave the theater. Mm-hmm. And it was when the scene began. Yeah. And people said, I just can't believe they showed that. Mm-hmm. And I realized at that point that Julianne Moore, she was at that point in her career, she had starred in Jurassic Park, Lost World. Like she was making big movies at that mm-hmm. time. And the fact that she would even consider right. doing a movie like this. Such right. a hard film. Well, and not be afraid to play someone so horrible yeah. and so unlikable and be like, I'm going to be her and right. do the best yeah. that I can. Because honestly, she did because I hated her and I believed every minute of it. You and know? she's a smart woman. She knows that would alienate audiences. Right. And she's okay with it. And she's okay. You know, yeah. it's it's an interesting kind of concept. She does that in the same, similar way years later with Maps to the Stars by Cronenberg. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. It's the same unlikable, like very much a similar unlikable character. Mm-hmm. But she plays a starlet, uh, a washed out starlet uh, from Hollywood. And, and it's kind of David Cronenberg's middle finger to Hollywood in a way. They've screwed him over. Yeah, yes. they have screwed yes. him over in real mm-hmm. life. and. This is his saying, like, I'm going to give you the version of Hollywood that I think I see. Right. And she plays this actress named Havana, which, first of all, her name's Havana. Like, mm-hmm. hello. Yeah. And she plays the worst human being. And, you know, you, I mean, you, she gets what she deserves in the end, which I will not be explicit about it. But she gets what she deserves. And the whole movie is just her being this ugly person. And the other people in the movie are not so great either. You feel a little bit poorly for a couple of them. But right. nothing. So it's just... It's there's a one scene I will say that's that's worth watching if you don't even watch the whole movie. There's a scene where she's getting rejected and you hear her manager on her phone telling her she didn't get the job, but you just see a slow zoom in to her sitting there at Julianne Moore's face and you, she never says a word. You just see her reaction to not getting the job and this is the most crushing thing she's ever dealt with obviously. One of the best acted scenes I've ever like from her personally yeah it's a great performance yeah. and i it was i remember it was in theaters at the same time as still alice was in theaters which was her oscar winning role yeah. uh, and i think a lot of people were confused as to which movie it was exactly that she was <laughs> winning the oscar for right. and again we showed that at the loft we showed maps to the stars and yeah. we had a number of people walking out of that saying right. this is the movie she won the oscar for right. I was like no that's yeah. not the movie so i can't believe she was doing that on camera yeah i mean she's horrible Oh, there's scenes of her in the bathroom, bathroom. that is, oh, yeah. I it, mean, she treats, like, on one hand, she'll treat her assistant nicely, and then the other horribly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so you kind of get images of what the bad folks in L.A. really are. Not all, of course, but right. some of them, the very cliched stereotypes exist for a reason. And you have to wonder who you she know. was basing that character right. on. I mean, I'm sure she knows people oh, like sure that. Oh, sure she does. But yeah. as an actress, do you think, oh, is this about me? Because right. she was a... She's a big actress as right. well. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting. Yeah, like who's brave enough to take on that role? Right. To say like, and, and to to risk that someone saying I'm playing myself, someone oh, pointing the finger and, at her yeah, and saying, "Are you right. playing yourself?" 
it's an inter- I mean, I, I, yeah, it's worth a watch. I kind of want to watch it again, but you know, but I feel like I'm punishing myself. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> Don't do it. it I might Don't watch. It. It's Cronenberg, who's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. So you know, sometimes he's got tons of layers to him. So I know there's some stuff I missed, but Maps to the Stars is is good, and it's one of those uh, uncomfortable brave characters that she does so well. Yeah, and she does. She does get a good breakdown scene in it, and I should just mention that she's often referred to by critics as the breakdown queen. She's good at Hollywood because she is the best at having an on-camera breakdown. And she represses the emotions, Mm -hmm. then she lets it all out, and it's kind of a beautiful thing to behold. It's very uncomfortable. Uh, And of course, I think the most famous being the Magnolia scene Mm -hmm. that we've all talked about, how much we love. Where she's in the drugstore and she's having this complete meltdown. It just loses her. Yeah, she wants she wants the drugs and they won't give her the drugs and they're calling her lady. Like, Don't you call me lady? Don't you dare call me lady? Don't and she's me. and it's just so tense and she's just literally falling apart in front of your eyes and she does that a lot in films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to not be afraid to fall apart is crazy. And to look ugly both physically and emotionally. Yeah. I, th- I think that's tough. Well, and she also does it in the same movie, Magnolia, when she's talking to her and her husband's attorney. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. And she's like, I want to take myself out of the will. And she's like, oh, I fucked other guys. I've, mm-hmm. And she goes into detail. That's and she it's an amazing scene. Yeah. She's got a few in that movie in particular. Magnolia is a masterpiece. And yes. it's got amazing performances all the way through. But Julianne Moore is just unbelievable in it. Yeah. Unbelievable. And there are a couple scenes, the the lawyer scene and the pharmacy scene that just blow my mind every time I see it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she's and speaking of being a fearless actress, I think you'd have to be a little fearless to play Sarah Palin, (laughs) which she did. And she did it very, very well. Well, yeah, she doesn't do it in the caricature like Tina Fey. Right. Um, In the movie um, Game Change from 2012, it's about. John McCain's 2008 presidential run, and it focuses on Sarah Palin, played by Julianne Moore. It's an HBO movie. You can find it on Amazon Prime and watch it. Um, It follows her rise from obscure Alaska governor to vice presidential candidate. And it, it really shows her in a lot of different ways. For one, again, I watched a lot of Julianne Moore movies to prepare for this, and not once when I was watching it was I thinking, oh, there's Julianne Moore. I was all the time thinking, that's Sarah Palin. Yeah, I, I, that's yeah. all I could think when I was watching it, which is amazing considering Tina Fey had already made that character so yes. recognizable right. in the first place four years earlier. So it is very brave mm. after Tina Fey made this iconic character. She owned it, yes. She owned it she, more than yes. almost any SNL character mm-hmm. ever. Yep. Um, Tina Fey was Sarah Palin. And so to, for Julianne Moore, four years later, to come out and do this in Game Change, it's it's really a fascinating turn. And again, just to break it down a little for you, John McCain's running for president, and they realize he's going to lose to Barack Obama, the first African-American to get a, a Democratic nomination for president. And John McCain is is no longer kind of the maverick that he once was considered. He's going to lose by a by quite a little bit. He's got a campaign manager played by Woody Harrelson, or a strategist, I guess. And and he's he's Steve Schmidt in the movie. Um, and Steve Schmidt, the Woody Harrelson character, tells him he's like, "We've got to do something. We're going to lose, and especially we're going to lose with women." If we don't do something that completely changes what people expect from this campaign, 
And so they start researching candidates and they find this Alaskan governor who's fairly attractive, who owns guns and goes hunting. She hunts moose um, or mooses. I don't know which it is. <laughs> what is the plural of moose? Meese. Meeses. Now, that's clearly mo- mouse. That's the, uh, <laughs> at any rate, um, I digress. Um, but so at any rate, uh, they, they find this woman, Sarah Palin, and... Steve Schmidt doesn't really do a great job of vetting her. Um, John McCain barely meets her before she is announced as the candidate because as the vice presidential candidate, because they just need something that's going to change things for them, a game changer. Mm. And so they've got this attractive woman who's pro-life, who's pro-guns, who has a big family, five children, um, who's got a a handicapped child as well, a young child. And so this is kind of a great thing. What they don't realize is she knows nothing about world affairs. Um, And it's not until she starts getting asked questions even, not even hard questions, but but not even hard questions, but kind of softball stuff, and she just can't do it. She can't name one newspaper that she reads. She can't – and she's – the. The movie shows her as constantly obsessed with what her poll numbers in Alaska are. And they're like, Governor, we're going to win Alaska. That's not the problem. That's a given. Yes. You know, that's not the problem. She's like, well, why don't I see campaign signs in Alaska? Why don't my neighbors see that? They're like, because ah, we can't spend money. Barack Obama has so much more money than us in this campaign. We don't have the money to campaign in Alaska. Um, and she's shown in a, in a very nice light, honestly. Uh, Sarah Palin herself wouldn't watch it. It's based on a book that she says is a false narrative of the campaign. John McCain wouldn't watch it. Steve Schmidt, the real person, the real uh, Republican activist and, and person who works on campaigns, watched it and said it was like having an out-of-body experience, mm. um, that it was exactly what he went through yeah. on the campaign. And and Julianne Moore's performance is just unbelievable. I, I can't recommend seeing this enough. The movie itself is okay. You know where it's going to go. But her performance is otherworldly. She won an Emmy for it. Um, it's a really, really great performance on her part. And it's not just mean. It really isn't. It shows a woman who's caught up in a political machine that doesn't care what her real views were. You know what I mean? As long as it looked good for John McCain, that's all they cared about. They didn't care about her as a person. They really didn't. And it shows her working with crowds and working with people and in a very sympathetic light. Yeah, that's what I thought was amazing. If I, it didn't make me sympathetic towards Sarah Palin, but it made me understand her. Yeah. Which I don't think you got from any of the other coverage, certainly not from the SNL parodies. No. Um, But I think Julianne Moore as an empathetic actress, was able to bring that out and show the humanity of this yeah. woman who got caught up in something larger than herself that she was not prepared for. Well, and she had people just telling her exactly what she wanted to hear. Right. Yes. And and I would say it foreshadows, I mean, when you see her on the campaign trail and people calling Obama a Muslim and a terrorist and all this stuff, and, you know, John McCain kind of famously was like, no, no, mm, he's right. not. He's an American. I may disagree right. with his politics, but he's an American because John McCain had been so slandered um, in South Carolina in his mm-hmm. run for the presidency in 2000 that he just wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to run. He's a fairly, I mean, a man of some conviction, um, John McCain. Mm-hmm. And, and so he wouldn't do that. But Sarah Palin was all too ready 
Yeah. Right. To yeah. accept, yeah. yeah, no, he's not an American. He's right. not my kind of an American. He's not Christian. Right. And now we see a man who did that for another four years become president mm. who, who again, just doesn't mm. seem to really have the capacity to know the difference between North and South Korea, why the war in Iraq was started, mm. what pretenses were used. Um, there's a ton about that you see in the movie that Sarah Palin probably didn't know. Um, but she was an Alaskan governor who had just been a, a small town mayor before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It's not a the biggest time job by any means. You're not governor of New York or California. Yeah. yeah. It's a fairly large in, in uh, acreage, but not in population mm. state of Alaska. So it's really an interesting film. I don't think it's profound or anything that's going to change your world aside from show you Somebody who does Sarah Palin better than Tina Fey, which I thought was impossible. Yeah. Yes, because certainly Julianne Moore does not look like Sarah Palin to me, but she was so convincing in that movie that I felt like she did look like her. Yeah. Well. Yes, she does does in the movie. Yes. She transformed herself from the inside out. Yeah. But on the outside, she doesn't look like her. So I think that it was brilliant. Yeah, it is brilliant. It is. It's it's one of the best performances. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I when I look at it and I... I watched it, and then I watched clips of it again afterwards, and it's really hard to believe it's Julianne Moore sometimes. Mm-hmm. It just looks like Sarah Palin. Mm. Right. Um, and it, it does take on the sense of a documentary at times, you know, yeah. aside from the fact that, I mean, the, it's not the best acted thing around uh, Julianne Moore. Right. Woody Harrelson's fine, mm-hmm. um, but Ed Harris plays John McCain. I didn't think he was particularly amazing as John McCain at all. Yeah. Um, he It's just a flat kind of wooden portrayal of John McCain but but Julianne Moore's performance knocks it all out of the park and makes it very watchable mm-hmm. and 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 she's sympathetic you mm-hmm. kind of understand where she's coming from and that right. she got caught up in something bigger than her where people didn't care and that's at one point somebody calls Steve Schmidt on it the Steve Schmidt character is like you didn't ask her questions because you liked the way she looked you mm-hmm. liked the fact that she had guns you liked the fact that she had multiple kids and and was pro life that's all you cared about. You didn't care if she was really going to be a good vice president. Right. right. And that happened in the last election as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the Republicans didn't learn their lesson. No, yeah. did not learn the Sarah Palin lesson. They were ready to go with whomever. And so it, it well, does. It worked for them this time. It, it, well, kind of it's worked. <laughs> <laughs> what we're seeing right now is it's not working as well. And Julianne Moore is a famous Hollywood liberal. I mean, I think the potential for her to have gone mean with that portrayal yes, right. would have been very easy. Right. But she didn't. She played it sympathetic. I think she saw that as an interesting human character that she was playing. Yeah. Um, and didn't let her real life politics, you know, influence her acting. I don't think so because I, I really see it as a sympathetic portrayal. I'm sure Sarah Palin would not see it that way. She would not see it that way. I agree. Because I'm sure Sarah yes. Palin thinks she's a lot smarter than probably she really is. Right. And probably. so if she's not portrayed as somebody who's super intelligent, then that's not going to fit with Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but, but I mean, it was clear if you watched the campaign in 2008, she was, she, she was a lightweight. She was a political light, right. lightweight. Yeah. And when it come to, came to actually knowing real facts about the world and to be president, <laughs> yeah, stuff president like or that. Vice stuff like president. that. Sure. Knowing things. A little bit yeah. like and that. I want to <laughs> throw a real quick shout out to the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio that she's in. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really sweet little movie about a 1950s house, woman, yeah. housewife. Mm-hmm. Um, her husband's Woody Harrelson again, um, and the prize winner of Defiance, Ohio, she writes jingles. 
and makes ends meet for her family when her husband can't do it. There are times it's a really tough movie to watch. She doesn't have money for the milk. And it's based on a true story, which is really sweet. And the the book was written by the woman's daughter. Um, and then they based the screenplay on that. And it's it's really great. I, I really recommend checking out the prize. I, it's charming. I shouldn't maybe say great. Charming. I yes. would say it's charming. And Woody yes. Harrelson gives a really good performance as the husband, as the alcoholic husband who has a hard time making ends meet. Another just really fine Julianne Moore performance, though, and really sweet. I, If you don't come out of that smiling a little, I, you know, I don't know. It's probably on you, not Julianne Then Julie you left Moore. your heart in your popcorn bucket. Indeed. Yes. Indeed, would, Jeff. Like, I didn't even know you could do that. But. <laughs> it would re- it would erase the bad taste of, from movies like Savage, Savage Grace. Grace. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but also think about um, The Hours, which I think. I think oh, that's also so one to rem- that was the year that she also was nominated for Far From Heaven, Heaven. and then yeah. in the hours, of course, she played another '50s housewife, and became one of the few actresses to be nominated for two Oscars in the same year. Yeah. The hours is so good. The hours is hard, great. But it's good. Yes, it's hard. I but mean, good. I recommend it. But... Oh, I really recommend it. And yes. please read the book first. It helps. I love the it book, helps. and and. I didn't need the book. You don't need it. I'm not saying you need it. I just say before you go watch the movie, read yeah. the book because it's so brilliant. It's well, a really brilliant. I mean, book. I will say like I don't have a hard time with hard stories, so it's told in a difficult, complex way. Yeah, it is. And if you read the book, it's easier to understand. So I get that. Right. Yeah. yeah and maybe then it's so. a good book. Yeah. It's a really good book. Is that that's my only point? Yeah. Is a, a lot of times if I watch the movie first, then I'm not interested in the oh, book. Yeah. Where I can read the book first and then go watch the movie, and I'm always, for the most part, interested. And this is one I would I would read the book first if you're interested. And I think I also just looking it. over Julianne Moore's oeuvre for this podcast, I think what struck me is that she's much better served in the independent film world than the Hollywood blockbuster world. Oh yeah, I think working with directors who have a strong vision is very helpful to her as an actress. When she's in a Jurassic Park, uh, Lost World. <laughs> Or the Hunger Games movie, to me, she almost disappears because she's not given the freedom to do the Julianne right. Moore thing. One, she's yeah. probably not, I mean, say what you will about those movies, she's probably not given a great script to work with. Right, exactly. You know, so, and and those, one well, particular, the Hunger Games, that's such an ensemble cast. It, mm. It's hard to, you're going to get lost in the shuffle if you're not Katniss or Pina. Yeah, I mean, give guy. her the paycheck. I think it's great so, she's getting the money for that, but it's not. It's not. I don't really yeah. look forward to seeing her in movies right. like that the she way I do. She shines in independent movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next is one that I would say to completely avoid, the Nick Cage big blockbuster. They paid a lot oh, of money to make that right. movie. I'm sure she took home a nice check, but she's clearly not interested. It's a terrible script. It's one mm-hmm. of the worst scripts I've seen put yeah. into a film. I really yeah. dislike that one. <laughs> um, but 2007's yeah. Next is an example of Julianne Moore taking this blockbuster vehicle and and not able to do much with it because there's not much there. Right. You can only right. do so much if the script sucks. Yeah. That's correct. I enjoyed 2013's The English Teacher. It's not a great mm. film or anything, but it's fun. She's really good in it, as she is in most things. The remake of Carrie is well worth watching. Oh, I wanted yes. to see that. Yes, and she gives a very different performance than Piper Laurie did. Yes. In the original, as mm. the mother, the crazy mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and she sort of Julianne Moores it. Yeah, which I is, did mean to see that. I didn't know is now a verb. I'm going to say <laughs> Julianne Moore's it. You just Julianne Moore'd that, uh, but she did it in Carrie, I think, and yeah, that was. And I, I wanted a little shout out to her because I feel like 
in the big Lebowski, she gets overshadowed by all the men. Mm. And that as movie, far as what we remember. Yes, as far as what we remember right. and what people I mean, people quote that movie to know it till the cows come home. And I really think like every scene she's in, the big Lebowski, mm-hmm. she steals away from you know, uh Jeff Bridges, like it's great. She's every scene she's in it. I'm looking at her. Yeah. I'm listening to her. And people should be quoting her big right, line from quoting the phone her too. vagina. <laughs> no, uh, uh, that monologue vagina. that she says to him before they actually start yes. interacting when she's doing her stuff is yes. hilarious and yeah. great and brilliant. And and then after they have sex, it's great. Anyway, so if you mm. if you have, I mean, rewatch Big Lebowski for her, not for the dudes. Yeah, try that. Even though the yeah. dudes are great, I yeah. like that. But yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think we should also just point out that she's one of the best redheaded actresses yes. working today. That's not some. That's a kind of an uncommon physical yeah. trait for yeah. an actress, uh, to the point where she's actually a successful children's book author. Which I did not know till today. Freckle Face Strawberry is this series of children's books she writes. I think she's maybe made six or seven of them. Oh wow! Written them, and it's about a young girl who's redheaded, freckle faced, and loving it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. I, I really look forward. I love children's books anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and really she said do. that it was, for, it was for her daughters, I think, you know, to kind of give them pride right. in themselves. And That's uh, great. I got to check those out. Yeah, it's great. So is there anything Julianne can't do? I don't know. I don't know. I, I love her you. interviews. She's so down to earth, it seems like. I mm-hmm. mean, I, yeah. it's her interviews are some of the best that I've watched of actors. I really enjoy her. I, I've just come away. I was a fan beforehand, but... Having watched all these Julianne Moore films and watched all these interviews with her, I'm, I'm a, an even bigger fan today. And I, I do. I wonder if there's anything she can't do. Yeah, I agree. I, I doubt it. I want to see her direct something. Yes. Oh, that could be I fun. Think she, yeah. I think that would be really interesting. Yeah. Since she's such a director's actress. Yeah. If she could actually direct other actors. <laughs> that would be good. Okay. We've just thrown down the gauntlet You're listening to Julianne to Moore. Well, of course she's listening. Oh, she's listening. She's listening. <laughs> she wants to hear a, her name used Do as a verb. This. <laughs> Julianne Moore it and you just the got director. Julianne Moore it. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you, Rusty and Heather. That was a great celebration of Julianne Moore. Yes, thanks. It was Jeff. really fun. One of our favorites. Yeah, and we got to watch lots of Julianne Moore movies, so it's good. Uh, so um, please, please keep listening to us on the Mini Rules of Film Club and check us out everywhere that we are. Facebook, iTunes, rate us. Yeah, rate us on iTunes. We need stars. Just click some stars. It doesn't even matter how many. Yeah. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just give us some stars. We prefer lots of them, but however you really want to do it is fine. And uh, please uh, send us emails, uh, theminirulesoffilmclub.com, um, our website. We'd love to hear from you. So next time on the Mini Rules of Film Club, uh, we're going to be exploring rule number 799 of the Mini Rules of Film Club, uh, which is if you've got the music in you, there's probably a movie that's got music for you. And we're going to be talking about, I'm very excited about this. We're going to be talking about our favorite movie soundtracks. Yeah. Uh, Because movies are nothing without music. And I yeah. think sometimes music is overlooked as a vital component. Batman 3 film. would not have been as good. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> or Paul Blart Mall Cop. What a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to be talking no, about. No, I don't think so. Uh, probably some better stuff. Uh, so uh, please uh, check us out next time in the Mini Rules of Film Club, and we'll see you then. 